It is awesome to see you. It is great to worship Jesus together. There's something about being together in his presence, that he shows up, he's alive, his presence is here to do things in our midst that we could never do on our own. And he is here. The word for today, I think, is life. He is here to impart resurrection life to us in every area of our being. It doesn't matter. Like Life is not just for Sunday morning for an hour. He came to give us life every moment of every day, and that's what he does. And I hope you've been enjoying your Easter weekend. Uh, We had an egg hunt at our house yesterday uh, for the kids and grandkids. Mainly it was for Pam. I I figured out that's what it was really about. but I, found, I figured out Easter, the, you have an egg hunt, and it's the one time of the year where your kids prove that they can actually find something when they're looking for it. <laughs> like, they were motivated yesterday. Usually they walk in the room, I don't know where it is, but yesterday, man, those eggs could not hide for anything. So uh, I, before we even go any further, I just I wanted to share with you an Easter miracle that I saw this weekend. If we could put that next slide up, Kelvin. Uh, here is an Easter miracle the pirates are in first place. It's, it's, it's Easter and the pirates are in first place. It is miraculous. And uh, Patty was back there. Patty, it's awesome to see you. Jesus is doing some healing work in Patty's body. Uh, Patty's going to help coordinate. If you love the pirates, because I know there are a couple people, and you're looking for something to do after the Penguins kind of flamed out and the Steelers have had too much drama, uh, Patty's organizing a trip to Faith Night this year. So you could see her. Uh, I know it's a long way off. Nobody's even thinking the end of the summer yet. But if they're still in first place by the end of the summer... Man, you better buy your tickets now because it will be hard to get in. So uh, that was an Easter miracle. But obviously, the biggest Easter miracle was Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb. And that is why we are here this morning. That's what we're celebrating. Man, I, I trust that your walk with Jesus never gets old. Because there is something that life does in us that it produces every day. If if we are aware of what he did and what he wants to do in our lives, it will produce something of value in us every day. And uh, leading up to this uh, Easter morning, we've been in a series called Turning Points. And as a congregation, we've been looking at some of the pivotal moments in Jesus' life on the journey to Easter, to the cross and the resurrection. Because, come on, that's what a turning point is in our lives. Those are those moments that we have where we get to choose what we're going to do in that moment, and is it going to move us closer to where we're going, who we're supposed to be, or is it going to get us farther away? And we've seen throughout this series, Jesus really made the right decision every time. And it led him up to the journey to Easter. It led him to the cross, to the resurrection. And it affected our lives forever. We've, we've seen through the life of Jesus that when we are obedient to what God wants to do in our lives in a turning point, it moves us forward in our spiritual walk. It propels our growth. It increases God's supernatural activity in our lives. When we obey, there is stuff that happens that you can't explain any other way than God showed up and did it in our lives. And as we've been looking at this series, what Jesus was all about, a key verse that we looked at is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And part of those turning points on the week leading up to the the crucifixion, uh, I hope you've taken some time this week to meditate on Jesus washing people's feet. Come on, that, that, was a, that was a pivotal moment where Jesus got to say, am I going to serve these guys and show them how to live even though I know they're going to desert me and one of them's going to actually betray me? Come on, I hope you took some time to think about that. He, he had a last supper. 
man, how would you act at a, at a meal that you were going to have with your friends if you knew like this is the last time it's going to be like this? Something is going to change forever. They're going to desert me. Whatever Jesus had going through his mind, I can't even begin to think about the emotions that he had to process at that last supper. And he still chose, I'm going to share this with my friends. I'm going to tell them there's forgiveness. I'm going to tell them there's healing coming because what I'm about to do. And then I hope you took some time on Friday to think about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Come on, talk about a pivotal turning point in his life. He's there in the garden sweating great drops of blood, the turmoil that was going on in his heart. And it led him to a decision point where he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Come on. And all of those moments leading up to that week, to the the crucifixion and the resurrection we're celebrating today, all of those individual little moments led up to the greatest turning point in all of history, in all of eternity. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it changed things. Come on, that was a turning point that forever altered the course of humanity and what we were able to experience in our lives. He opened the door for us to have a relationship with the Father once again. And I believe Jesus was resolute in what he came to do because of the gravity and the importance of it. And that's what I want to just take a few minutes talking this morning about what was so important that Jesus came to do. All those individual decisions, all those moments that were leading up to that. What was the big deal about it? What was so important? Look at your neighbor and say, you were. Come on, that was, that was okay for an Easter Sunday morning. How about look at somebody on the other side of you now and say it with gusto like you really mean it. It was for you. Come on, we don't realize it sometimes, but Jesus came for us. He came for people. He was on a rescue mission to restore relationship with his creation, something that had been broken and lost because sin entered into the world. We were created in the image of God to have fellowship with him, and because sin came and marred and destroyed that in our lives, we were unable to connect with God, and Jesus came to restore that, to rescue us. That's good news right there, and that's why we celebrate. Without Christ, we're unable to live in the fullness of who God created us to be. I had a thought when I was preparing this week that we, without Jesus, we were living as less than. You know what, you ever know what that feels like? Like, I know there's more. I know there's, there's just something I'm not seeing come through in my life. I know there's something beyond what I'm feeling right now. And without Jesus, we were all doomed to live in that space of being less than and experiencing less than what he created us to be. And Jesus came to take care of that, to fix that, and to restore that to us. And uh, most Christians would agree, uh, if you talk to any Bible scholar, they all will say that there are three enemies that try to keep us from knowing Jesus. And even after we become Christians, they try to keep us from being victorious in our lives and, and living in the fullness of our lives. And those three enemies, almost any Bible scholar will tell you, are the devil, the world, and your flesh. How many of you have ever heard that before? Or some version of that? Those are the enemies that stand opposed to us. Come on, I think the devil, we have a pretty good picture. He hates us. He's the father of evil. He wants to destroy our lives. He came to steal, to kill, and destroy. That was his job description. The devil is most definitely arrayed against us, trying to keep people from believing in Jesus and trying to keep believers from living a full, overcoming life. 
The world is arrayed against us. The world really is that system of doing things that is the complete opposite of the way Jesus does things in the kingdom. The world system prioritizes stuff and position and power, and Jesus prioritizes people. So we've got the world system working against us. And and the last one on that list, the flesh, this is our human nature that if, if left unchecked, our human nature will take whatever is the path of least resistance, whatever is the path of making me the most comfortable, putting me first. Come on, how many of you are familiar with the flesh? And, and four people raised their hand because they thought it was a trick question in church. Like, come on. I, I don't know about you, but I think that's the biggest enemy in my life because he, it's with me all the time. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm there. And, and I, I don't think, I, I think the devil is real, but I don't think I'm high enough on his uh, list that he's personally engaged with me at the moment. But my flesh is always there. And, some, and sometimes my flesh doesn't need a whole lot of pushing to do what's most comfortable and what's most selfish in my life. So here we were with, with these enemies arrayed against us, the devil and the world and the flesh, and Jesus came to do something about that. I said he, he came to rescue us. Who did he come to rescue us from? I think he came to rescue us from the enemies that were against us. Watch what Jesus did and why it was so important. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Come on, the, the first enemy that was arrayed against us. It says that's part of, explicitly part of why Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. What are the works of the enemy? It's, it's sickness, it's disease, it's broken relationships, it's being angry, it's hating other people, it's inciting violence against people, it's tempting us to do evil. Those were the works of the enemy, and it says Jesus came to destroy those things. In, in Colossians, it talks about chapter 2, it says, having disarmed the powers and the principalities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through the cross. Jesus most definitely defeated the devil once and for all in front of everybody. It says he made a public spectacle of them. They, they had a, a time when uh, people that were accused or arrested of things, they'd be put on, in the stocks in front of people. They'd be mocked and ridiculed. Uh, when it uses that passage and says Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil, it's almost that intention of using that word. It's like Jesus took the devil, put him in chains, stood him up in front of everybody, and stripped his clothes off so everybody could see his nakedness and that he was powerless. And Jesus did that for us. What an amazing God we serve. He defeated our enemy, the devil. And then watch this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, Take heart. He's he's talking about in the world you're going to have troubles, but he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Come on, that's two out of three right there. He defeated the devil and he defeated the world's influence in our lives. He overcame the world and it no longer, we don't have to do things the way the world does. He is the king of a kingdom that operates on completely different principles than the world. Where the world says, put the stuff first, step on anybody you can to get ahead. Jesus says, prefer one another. Serve each other. My kingdom is not of this world. It's completely foreign to the way people without Jesus would do things in their day-to-day lives. And Jesus said, we don't have to live under the world's influence because I overcame it. His kingdom supersedes the world every single time. 
And this, the last enemy that I said is hardest to defeat sometimes because it's with us all the time. Watch what Jesus did about our flesh. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been. Everybody say, have been. Past tense. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Come on. The rest of that verse says, Christ lives in me. The life I live now is the Son of God in my body. Like... He took my flesh and nailed it to the cross when he went there. Talk about three for three, defeating the enemies that were arrayed against us, coming to rescue us from the things that influenced our lives to do evil and to hurt one another. He said, I took care of the devil, I took care of the world, and then I took care of your flesh because I took it and nailed it to the cross with myself. Thank you, Jesus, that you did something about those things. The enemies that were arrayed against us became the opportunity for Jesus to become our salvation. If you're struggling with any of those things, if, if you feel the devil attacking you, if you feel like, oh, I got to do things the world's way to get ahead, or if, man, I just, I do what I want to do all the time. If you feel that, you need to encourage yourself this morning that Jesus, when he went to the cross and when he walked out of that tomb, he took care of the enemies that were forcing you to do those things. The Bible says we used to be enslaved to sin. We didn't have a choice but to do anything else. But Jesus came and set us free. And now he gives us the power to live a victorious life, to experience that abundant life that he promised us. Thank you, God. He came to give us the ability to have a relationship with him. I love this verse. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus talking about why he came. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost? I I think people in general were what was lost. But more specifically, I think it was that image of God that he created in each one of us. And it was lost because of sin. It was like Jesus, it was like God coming down in the garden and saying, Adam, where are you? I don't see you anymore. And Adam's standing right there. But what was God saying to Adam? I don't see that image of myself that I created and placed here in the garden anymore. And there was a time for all of us when that image of God wasn't able to be seen in our lives because of sin and our selfish choices that we had made. And Jesus came to seek and to save that. To restore us to who he created us to be and to put that image back in us. Come on, not only does he restore relationship within us, but he wants to put that image of God back in us to such a degree that he could turn around and say, you're a light to the world. You are my ambassadors. You are my representatives. You are the body of Christ, as the kids said on the stage this morning. Come on, wasn't that amazing that the kids are grasping those concepts already? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am saved. I am beloved. And I am the church. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, not only did he save us individually and take care of the issue of sin that was on our lives, but he does something corporately in us that he puts himself back on display and says, here's the image of God, and I'm going to put you on display to the world now to see how good my father is. He came to seek and to save what was lost. And this, what we've celebrated on Friday, what we're celebrating today, this is how he did it. In John chapter 12, he was meeting with his disciples and he said, my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Come on, every turning point in Jesus' life was leading up to that moment of walking up the hill 
with the cross be strapped on his back and letting them flog him and nail him to the cross and kill him. Every moment that he made the right decision in secret and in public was leading to that very hour to come and save us, to rescue us. And in John 12, 32, a couple verses later, he says, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all men to myself. Come on, how many of you have ever said, let's lift Jesus up so he can draw everybody to himself? He didn't say that in reference to a worship service. Sometimes we use it like that and we say, we're going to lift Jesus up and he's going to draw everyone. He was talking about how he was about to die. He was talking about going to the cross because that was going to change things forever. And, and when it says it will, he will draw people into himself, the, the word in the Greek there literally implies that he is hauling and dragging people by force. He's drawing us into himself. And that's what he says. I, I saw a picture this week that I wanted to share with you. Uh, and I think there was a picture in it of what Jesus did. Uh, NASA, through all the money they've spent and all the, the telescopes they've had over the years, they finally, just in the last couple weeks, they actually photographed a black hole. How many of you know what a black hole is? In, in theory, it's, you know, it's so dense and so heavy and the gravity is so much that even light can't escape. And there's a picture of it. I know, I know you're all sitting there thinking, that's not very exciting. Like, you would think all those billions of dollars we've spent on NASA and telescopes, we'd have a little better idea. But they were beside themselves excited about, we've got this picture of the black hole. And, and what that stirred into me, because you can see in the middle there, no light can escape. It's, it's so heavy and it's so dense and there's so much gravity circling around that. And when I saw that picture this week, I thought the gravitational pull of the cross was so immense in all of eternity that it drew every human being that ever existed into himself. He drew in our sickness and our pain. All the things that we were feeling that I don't measure up. I've let people down again. I've got these wounds in my life. I'm carrying these hurts and this baggage with me. He drew all that in because there was so much gravity. It was so enormous of what Jesus did in that moment that he drew all men into himself. And the only thing, you know, we, we look at that picture of the black hole and we say nothing, not even light can escape. The only thing that was left when Jesus drew all men into himself was his beautiful life that he gave to us. Come on. He took, he absorbed literally on the cross, he absorbed everything that was keeping us from being who he created us to be. All of the sin, all of the heartache, all of the shame, all of the fear that you could ever experience in your life. He drew that into himself so that he could give his life to us. And when he walked out of that tomb three days later, he proved that there is nothing, not even death, that can separate us from the love of the Father. Come on, let's give him some glory in this place this morning. Ah. That, that was the great exchange. He took everything about our lives into himself and he gave us the fullness of his life. Man, that was so real. I mean, I mean, think about this. This was not just a theory. This was not just some transaction on paper. It was so real when he drew everyone into himself that this is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. It says, God made him who had no sin... He's talking about Jesus who lived a sinless life. And it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Talk about good news. He became sin because he knew, I'm about to die. Wicked men, inspired by the devil, are going to nail me to the cross. And the only way I can kill sin and set people free is to absorb it into myself. This was a very real transaction that Jesus did. And so much so that it says God made him to become sin for us. So that all that was left over, all that could escape the gravity of the cross, was that we became the righteousness of God in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. In other words, he was lifted up so that we could be lifted up. He was lifted up so that we could be lifted out of the muck and the mire that we had made in our lives. Every single one of those things that that you could think of that was hurting you, everything that we've messed up our lives and we've tried to run it, he lifted us up out of that. He drew it into himself and then he gave us his life. I, I even think about, the Bible says that we are seated now. Where? In heavenly places with him. Talk about his lifting up, lifting us up. I came out of where I was in the natural and it says God seated us with Christ in heavenly places now. Oh. Sometimes you might be sitting there thinking, man, that sounds like good news for somebody else. Sometimes we we sit and we see what Jesus did for us and we think, yeah, that would be okay for Mike because he's a nice guy, but you don't know who I am or what I've done. And we think sometimes we're not worthy. I'm going to tell you, if you've ever felt that, that's exactly why Jesus came because he knew who we are. He sat around with his disciples the, the night of the last supper And he literally said that he looked them in the face, the guys that he loved, that he had been with for three years, his best buddies, they did everything together. He looked them in the face and said, tonight, you guys are all going to desert me. You're going to run away when I need you the most. And he still did what he did for us. I think at some point, if we're honest, we've all felt that, that I could have been sitting around the table because I know I've let him down. I've deserted him when he, when he was in need the most. And yet he still loved us so much that he did what he did for us. That betrayal and desertion of everybody led, led to another pivotal moment in Jesus' life that I want to close with this morning. Uh, I think is one thing even for Jesus to go through what he went through and to be hanging there on the cross and to say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. But when you walk out of the grave and you see the people that let you down and they all ran off and left you in that moment, there's another choice that you have to make. Am I going to say, see, I am who I said I was and you guys are the failures that I thought you were too. Was he really going to put feet to his belief to say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And he has an encounter with his disciples on the, the shore and they're they're talking and, and I'm imagining there's probably some of like, oh, I'm trying not to make eye contact because I know that I ran off. And, and probably the most of all of them, there's Peter standing there. The one who said, Jesus, I'll, I'll go to the cross with you. I'll die with you. I'm your guy. And Jesus said, hey, not only are you going to run away, you're going to deny me three times for the night's over. And that happened exactly like Jesus knew it would. And I, I just imagine Peter standing there feeling that shame and, and feeling like, oh, 
I don't really want to say anything. Maybe Jesus will just talk to the other guys. Jesus looks right in the face and he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asked him that question, which I don't think that's a coincidence because three times Peter denied Jesus. And Jesus asked him that question three times. And in John chapter 21, verse 19, this is the, the culmination of that conversation. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And then he tells him to feed his sheep. And he says, Peter, follow me. It's the same words that started Peter's journey with Jesus. It's come full circle. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, do you remember that, that freshness and that wholeness you felt that first morning on the shore of Galilee when I called you and said, come follow me, be my disciple. Do you remember the newness of your faith, the excitement of it all? Come follow me. And there's Peter, even in the midst of his shame and his guilt about I deserted my Lord, he's hearing the voice of Jesus saying that same thing he said at first. Peter, come follow me. You're, you're my guy. You're, you're, you're my disciple. You're the one I love. You're, you want, you, I want you to follow me. And I think we need to hear that sometimes, even whether you're in the room this morning and and you don't know Jesus or you've been walking with him for 50 years. I think sometimes we need to hear the freshness of that in Jesus's voice, looking at us and saying, hey, in spite of the failures, in spite of the times you, you let me down, in spite of the times you let yourself down, whatever you're feeling and caring in that moment, come follow me. That same freshness, that same excitement and zeal that we had, Jesus says, come follow me. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. He's, he's always saying that and speaking that to us. And, and it's up to us. Come on, I think Jesus is there with his arms outstretched the whole time. I love you. I want to embrace you. And we're the ones that mess that up. We're the ones that think we have to run and hide. We're the ones that think, oh, I can never show my face in that place again or let people see me. And Jesus the whole time is saying, come follow me. We, we'll, we'll clean up that mess. We'll take care of it. We'll, we'll deal with the character issues. We'll help you grow. But come follow me. And we need to be willing to say, yes, that's, I will embrace your call in my life, Jesus. Jesus, I think, knew that, that all those turning points that he went through that led to the cross and the resurrection, Jesus knew that his turning points would become our returning points. In the same way that he restored Peter, he sees us, and I think he's always speaking to us from his perspective and the way he sees us. And he says, the stuff that I went through is going to help you with the stuff that you're facing in your life. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to desert you. Isn't, isn't that amazing? The same things that, that his disciples did to him. They left him. They deserted him. They denied him. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'll walk with you the whole time. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're with me or not, I'll continue to walk with you. And because of Jesus, I think that, that always leads us in our walk with him to a turning point on and on. Not only, not only can you know that you'll be in heaven with Jesus one day, you can actually have life right now. That, that's, that's actually part of his promise. When he talks about eternal life, he's not talking necessarily just about a period of time. He's talking about a quality of life that he gives to us. In John 10, he describes it as being an abundant life, more full than we could ever imagine. That's what he wants for us. He wants our relationship with him to be great. He wants our relationship with others to be whole. He wants that abundant life for us. 
And the way we get it, Romans 10, 9, this is the verse we're going to close with. In fact, if I could have the worship team come up and they could get themselves ready for, we're going to sing a song on the way out. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know, but to get the most valuable gift that's ever existed in all of eternity, wouldn't you think it would have to be a little harder than that? Come on, as human beings, it's like, oh, you want to win that game show. Like, you want to climb Mount Moriyama and be the ninja warrior, right? Like, if you want to win that, you got to do something really hard that nobody else could ever do. You, you have to measure up to getting this gift. And Jesus didn't do any of that. He says it's as simple as you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. He says, you'll be saved. And watch watch the next verse. In verse 10, it says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. There is power in what we say. The The moment you believed in your heart, the moment something clicked inside of you that you say, wow, Jesus really is who he said he is. Jesus is the Son of God. He went to the cross for me. It says, believing in your heart, it's in that moment that you're made right with God. He looks at you and he doesn't see the mess and the failures. He says, my son, my daughter, you're awesome. That's the moment it happens. And then when we confess with our mouth, it says we're saved. And saved is more than just going to heaven. Saved is when things become whole, body, soul, and spirit, in our relationships, in our dealings with each other, in the way we think, in the way we act. There is power in what we say. So that moment that we believe in our heart, we're made right with God. But there is something about beginning to confess and to embrace the salvation that he's offered to us. Beginning to say things over our lives. Like, I believe Jesus is Lord. Lord, if you're the boss, what do you want me to do in this situation? I'm going to confess it and begin to speak it. So that's the action item I have for us before we leave today and get to the rest of our Easter plans for the afternoon. I want us to embrace and declare salvation in our lives. And one of the ways we're going to do it is we're going to sing another song to worship Jesus. But while we're singing, I just want you to make that real with him, just to embrace and confess salvation over your life. If if you're in this place this morning, and maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus, you've been living your whole life not even thinking about who God is and, and what he wants for your life, if you're in that place this morning, while we're singing this song, I'd love for you, for you to come up front. And we'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus and just give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. And if you're in this place and you've been walking with Jesus for a while now, just even while we're worshiping, just take this moment to abandon yourself to him. And if, if, you, if that means, hey, I want to come out of my seat and come up to the front to just embrace the salvation I believe I have, I'd like you to do that this morning. Whatever you need to do to make it real with God. But we are going to believe and confess. Let's go ahead and stand. Worthy Jesus. <laughs> He's worthy. Amen and amen. amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you helped us to run out of that grave. I want to pray and, and just bless you guys and dismiss you for the day. But I'm going to remind you, we have a... If you're a first-time visitor, we have a gift for you back there at the Connection Point. But for everyone that was here today, the ushers will give you a gift on the way out. Make sure you see one of them before you go. But let's just pray together. God, thank you for life. 
that you came, Lord Jesus, to walk out of that grave, to show us that you have the victory over every enemy arrayed against us, and you gave us your life. Thank you, Lord God, for that abundance that now flows in us. Lord, I thank you for this time we've had in your presence this morning. I ask that you would continue to move in our lives, Lord God. We say that, Jesus, you are Lord. We believe that in our heart, and we confess with our mouth, and we know that you are producing salvation in us, whatever that looks like, wherever it's needed. Lord, bless us indeed as we leave from this place. Lord, let us be a light to the world. Let us, let our lives be living testimonies of your goodness, that other people would see it and be stirred by the love of a living God. Jesus, use our lives to make your name famous in this region. We just say we love you, we honor you, and we give you glory in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we give them one more hand in this place? God bless you guys. Have a great Easter.